We are on the second part of our series called Together, and I want to start out with Psalms chapter 133, verse 1. Psalms 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. How, church? Okay, that's 10 of y'all. Okay, y'all. Can you all look up the screen? Can you see it? Was it up there? Was it not up there? Let's do it again. It says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. How? In unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Now, there's something called the collective or the corporate anointing. I want to explain this real quick. And the Bible makes it very clear. There's an there's a, there's a, there's a, let's put it this way. The Bible says there's an, there's an oil that flows. In the Old Testament, the oil represented the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What is the anointing of the Holy Spirit? The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the power of God coming on the scene to do what you cannot do without it. It's God working through you in a way that only God can do. It's God's might. It's God's ability. It's God's power on you to accomplish God-sized dreams, God-sized goals, right? And so in the Old Testament, in times of old, they would anoint a person like they would anoint a prophet or they would anoint a prophet to anoint a king to do what? It was a symbol or a sign that God's hand was upon them to do mighty things that only God could do through their life. So when it talks about the oil that flows from Aaron's head, Aaron was, was Moses' brother, and um, he was the priest of the people of God, okay? So he was the first anointed priest. And he said it flowed from his head to his beard to his garments. There is, a, there is an organization to that. There is a, there is a, there is a chart or a flow to that that God says my, uh, my oil flows from the head to the beard to the garments. Or my anointing, my power, flows from the head to the beard to the garments. Now, why is that significant for us to understand? It just is. Because the Bible talks about that we are to, the anointing flows from the top down. So we know the head of God, the head of his church in the earth is Jesus. Jesus is the head. So the first anointed one is Jesus Christ. Some of y'all thought Christ was his last name. Christ is not the Lord's last name. It's his position. It's his authority. So Jesus Christ or the Christ. It means the anointed one with his anointing. So Jesus, the anointed one. So Jesus is the very first one to be anointed. Then all of us that um, are part of him, that are grafting into the family of God, have also been anointed. That's why the Bible says that it starts at the head and it flows to the beard. The beard is always symbolic of maturity. It's, you don't grow a beard. Uh, boys don't grow beards. Men grow beards, right? And as soon as they begin to grow a beard, they begin to mature. That beard, uh, would, in the times of old, would actually, they would actually grow them out to be pretty big beards. You know, it's kind of, that was their thing in Israel, right, as God required that, uh, especially those that had, took a Nazarite vow. And so the anointing would flow from the head to the beard. And then the beard represented maturity or leadership. So God's always wanting to anoint, Jesus is anointed, then he wants to anoint the leadership of his church Next, and the beard is like a sponge. Women might not understand this, but it's like a sponge. So it gets big, it gets full. A man would put a little bit of soap in there, boy, it just will fill right up, right? It's like a bristle, you know, it just fills right up. Same thing with oil. You put that in there, it will, it'll sponge, it'll just soak it right up. And so in other words, most of the oil is gotten on the beard. 
It just soaks it right up. So there's a great anointing upon God's leaders in the house of God. His pastors, his elders, his leadership for us would be the dream team and so on. There's an anointing there. But the anointing doesn't stop there. It doesn't make us greater. It's just how God systematically does it. So the anointing continues to flow. The same anointing that's on Jesus. The same anointing that's on his leaders are on what? The garments. And the garments is what? covers the body. So that's the rest of the body of Christ so that every single last one of us have been anointed. We've got the power of God. We've got the strength of God. We've got the might of God operating in our lives. But I found something out. We all need that in our lives. But the problem is, the problem is, is this, is that somehow, some way, especially in church life, that stuff gets stopped up. And the reason why it gets stopped up is the very first part of this verse. They can put it back on the screen if they can find it. Psalms 133. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. Everybody say together. How? In unity. If we're not together, if we're not working together in unity, it stops the anointing of God. So a powerless church is not because the devil stole or robbed of their authority. It's because the people couldn't get together in one accord, in one heartbeat, having one vision, moving in the same direction. I'm preaching better than you're shouting because we've got an independent mindset that says me and mine. But that's never been God's mindset. He said, I set the members together in the body as it pleases me. One body, many members coming together. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It flows with the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. I want to make this statement this morning. The church, the church, you happen to be involved in one today, is the consciousness of Jesus in society. Billy Graham quoted that. It's the consciousness of God or Jesus in society. In other words, without the church, the world can't see Jesus. Without the church, the world will never know who Jesus is. It's our love and care for one another that the world will know that Jesus is truly our master and that we are one. John 13, 35, this is what Jesus said. He said, by this, the world, they will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love or care for who? One another. So how in the world will the church, the world rather know who we are and who we represent? How will they ever know who Jesus is because we happen to be his hands and feet in the earth? We are his body, the body of Christ on planet earth. If we don't have care or love for one another, if we don't come together, how can we care for one another if we're not coming together? How do we love one another if we don't come together? How do we even do it if we don't know each other? Church, we can't blame the world for what we're unwilling to do. We want to blame politicians uh, to come to and say, say, well, they won't come together, but we won't come together. We want city, city officials to come together, but we won't come together. We want our children to play nice and come together, but we won't. We want our families to come together, but we won't. We want black and Hispanic and whites and Asian to come together, but we as a church are the most segregated organization on the planet. Thank God, not this church. Just look around this room. Thank God. There's a place in Milwaukee and Wisconsin where everybody comes together. Black and yellow and white. Praise God. Amen. I'm missing another color. Praise the Lord. Brown. Someone said brown. <laughs> All of them colors are precious in his sight. Someone say Amen. 
My point to you is this. Yes, it does exist, and yes, it can exist, but most churches don't experience this. We got a white church across town. We got a black church across town. We got a Hispanic church on the south side. Yes, indeed. I'm not blaming nobody. I'm just saying, but that's not a picture of heaven. You think you're going to go to heaven, and you go, where's the south side at? I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Mexican. Where's the south side at? I'm black. Uh, where's the north side? I need the north side of heaven over here. What, what, we gonna, you're gonna be, you better learn to get along. You're going to be freaked out by your neighbors, praise the Lord. I didn't know they could be on my side too. You better, you better quit lying, praise God. It's for all people, all nations. The Bible says that all nations will flow into the mountain of the house of the Lord. That, uh, that word nation means ethnicity groups. Every single color of skin. We all are coming together. But how in the world? It gets confusing. We are going to have to come together if we're going to show the world who Jesus is. We're going to have to come together if we're going to win the battle of souls for the kingdom of God. We've got to invade the culture of the world with the culture of the kingdom. People ask me, I did an interview with a woman one time, and she happened to be African-American. She's one of my favorite people, and um, she doesn't go here. She, um, anyway, she's, she's a great lady, great minister, prophetic. And she wanted to do a, a radio interview with me, and so she did, and she asked me about our church because she knew that we were diverse. And she wanted to know, I always want to know, how did that happen? I never have a good answer. I don't, have a, I don't have a systematic plan how to organize the steps of somebody to have a church of different ethnicities. But I, she said, you're multicultural. I said, can I correct you with something? She said, absolutely. I said, we're not multicultural. She said, oh, you're not. I said, no, we're not multicultural. We're multi-ethnic. She said, oh, okay. And she was confused, like maybe some of you are right now. And I said, no, we, we only have one culture in our church. And that's the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, we have multiplicity of ethnicities, but we only have one culture in our church. The culture is the kingdom of God, and culture means this. It's the beliefs, the customs, the arts. It's philosophy of a particular society that has its own ways of life. That's what culture means, and it means to express its own way of thinking, behaving, or working. Okay? The kingdom of God has its own way of thinking, behaving, and working. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach expresses the beliefs, the customs, and philosophy of God as king. God is king in his kingdom. His kingdom also expresses its own way of thinking, behaving, and working. This is true of every kingdom, right? America has a culture. China has a different culture. Russia, a different culture. Africa, different culture. India has a different culture. Go anywhere in the world, right? Uh, even in, in the United States of America, you have a southern culture, and you have a northern culture. You have an eastern culture. You have a western culture. In Milwaukee, you got an east side culture. You got a south side culture. You got a north side. You got a west side. Every culture is different. It's set up to be like a kingdom. I'm sure you've noticed that there is a fundamental difference between the culture of the kingdom of the world and the culture of the kingdom of God. They're not one and the same. They're diametrically opposed. The culture of the kingdom of the world deals with all the natural experiences of life, while the culture of the kingdom of God deals with having a spiritual experience in life that affects the natural world. Let me qualify the statement. The kingdom of God is God's method of operation. It's actually his MO. 
So when Jesus said, I came to preach the kingdom of God, which I alluded to a moment ago with our offering, he was actually saying, let me teach you God's ways. Let me show you how God thinks. See, we need to learn how his ways are, how his thought patterns are, because they're what? They're higher than ours. The kingdom of God is God's way of doing and being right. The kingdom of God is also God's exchange system from heaven, which is spiritual, to earth, which is natural. So we pray to a God who is spiritual, and we ask for things to happen in the natural. The kingdom of God is the exchange system. Like you take money and exchange. If you go to the Philippines like I did, you have an exchange system for the American dollar for theirs. You have, you, if you go to China, the same is true there, right? So in the kingdom of, of, of the world, you lose your job due to economic downturn. But the kingdom of God says this, my God shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I want to preach right there. That's not my message, but let me just drop this right here. He said that God supplies my needs according to what? His riches and glory. I don't have to worry about my riches. I don't have to have the money in my natural bank account. I have a God in the spirit realm who lives in heaven that has set up the kingdom of God. Which if I obey the kingdom, which is his ways, I want to preach this now, his ways and his thought patterns. If I learn how he does things, I learn his method of operation. If I seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right, all the things I need shall be added unto me. Oh, so when I seek the kingdom of God, God's way of doing, which is his will, which is his word, and when I do that and put pressure on that with my faith and act upon it with my faith, what happens then? I exchange what I've got for what God's got. And what God's got, he ain't broke. He's not worried about financial trouble or pressure. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He said the gold is mine, the silver is mine, says the Lord. Touch your neighbor and say, God ain't broke. So no matter what it looks like in the economy, I can thrive because my system is not from this world. My system is from his world. And my God shall supply. I said my God shall supply. Which means what, Pastor? Look up the word. It'll say it for yourself, but let me just go ahead and preach it right now. To supply means to fill to the full, all the way to the top, what you've been lacking in your financial distribution and in your daily business. So unhook from you and hook to him. If you'll pray and obey, God will open a new way. Let me say that one more time. If you'll pray and obey, God will open a new way. Took a minute to get the service started today. He did. Took a minute to get it wound up. Fully anticipated it. Why? Because I've been praying like I've never prayed before. Because my pastor knows we've been getting together praying like never before. We've been confessing the word and saying different things. And I know the devil is sneaky and tricky and always trying to whisper in people's ears and get them discontented. That's what the devil does. But you know how I feel good all the time? Because I know like a man who scatters seed in the kingdom of God. I can let it just rest the way that it is. If I've been in prayer and I've been obedient to what God has asked me to do, I planted my seed, I know the harvest is about to come. And can I prophesy in 2020 and tell 15 people in this room, I don't know who you are, but you've been waiting long enough. The cycle's about to come to an end and you're going to prosper like you've never seen. Get ready for the floodgates to open. I said get ready. 
The devil is a lie. I said he's a liar. And Jesus is the Messiah. Come on, somebody say amen. Try to walk up in my church again, devil. I bind you. There's always a reigning king over every kingdom. Problem is, we've been king of our own life for so long, we don't want anybody else to rule. But in God's kingdom, if you want it God's way and have God's system working in your life, so where there's more than enough, he's got to become king. And the king is the king over his kingdom and all of its affairs and, and all of its citizens. So we live in America. And we are a blessed nation, but we get it backwards sometimes because we think we're supposed to vote on stuff. Yikes. We don't get a vote in God's kingdom. I mean, it's his way or the highway. You know, he is the king. And Burger King totally stole his slogan. Burger King said, you can have it your way. God said, I didn't say that. You can have it my way. Come on, that's the way it's going to be. I'm the king here. Monarchy, monarchy is different. It's like when a physical king rules over its territory, its people. But God sets up a theocracy. And that's always been God's best, is to rule over us as a king over his people. And if he says, go, we go. If he says, come, we come. We just simply obey him because he's king. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16 real quick. And I am crazy over time already, but let me just do this. When Jesus came into the, amen, I'm going to do my best. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, 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 wow. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed, blessed, empowered, the prosper are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, he unveiled it from heaven for you. He's in heaven. He unveiled it for you. And I say to you that you are Peter. So Simon Barjona's identity changed the moment he got revelation of who God is and who Jesus was and is. And he became Peter, Petra, a rock. And on this rock, this truth, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. We talked about that last week. The word church in the Greek is the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it simply means this, call the called out ones. It was not a religious term, but they heard it before. They knew the term in those days. It was a political term because it was where the politicians would, that were coming up for re-election would go to the gates of the city, which was the biggest opening square that they had, and gather the people there and give the vision. Talk about what happened last year and give the vision of the future, where they're going as a society the next year. Right, And he wanted their vote. He wanted to tell them what they were doing. So they were used to the term, but Jesus made it a religious term in the sense that he said, you are God's church. You are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones. The second part of the meaning of the word ecclesia means called out to come together. So everybody comes out of their houses. Everybody comes from where they're at. They disrupt their life to come together to hear what the king or the politician, the one in charge, has to say. Jesus is the head of the church. He has a leadership, but he anoints the rest of the body. Come on, somebody. But he can't do that unless we come together. Jesus said, my church. Not yours, my church. 
Are you a part of his church? Because he can't build what you're not a part of. It's hard to build something if all the pieces are not there. That's why Hebrews 10.35 says this, and listen to these words. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner as is the manner of some. He's rebuking the church saying, don't stay at home. As often as you can, come together. But exhorting one another. You can't exhort each other if you don't see each other. And so much more as you see the day approaching. So he's saying as you see the last days coming, even more, not less, even more, you're supposed to come together. Just everybody say this, say assembly required. And if the pieces are not there, how can we properly assemble the product? Now they tell me online that when we, people clap and shout, they only hear like 10 people. We're going to fix that, guys. We're going to get you some microphones so you can hear everybody screaming and hollering. Praise God. But there are hundreds of people here today that are saying amen and praise the Lord. But if you don't do it at all, they're going to think I'm just I'm flopping up here. So help me out. Praise God. <laughs> Assembly required. This completely throws out the concept of going to church here and there. Going to church once in a while. You know, I don't preach. You'd think I would change my heart after all these years. I would just say, Jeff, just do it different. If you want more people, just tell everybody how great they are all the time. Smile at them and just, just hold their babies and hug them and, and just tell them how great they are and how awesome it is to have them in the church today. And don't challenge them at all because you might make them mad. And certainly don't tell, well, you can tell the truth, but don't tell all the truth. Because some of that truth is going to make people mad. They might leave the church. I feel like I've been building my church the wrong way all these years. In the natural, yet you keep showing up. I don't know if it's because you like abuse or what. I don't know what it is. Or it's because you like someone that actually tells you the truth, even if it's hard to get down sometimes. And I want to come for a church. Come on, somebody. I want to come to a church that says, tell me the truth, man. Don't sugarcoat that sucker. Give it all to me. Amen. Amen. I wish I was Joel Osteen. He is such a great guy. I mean, that's gonna, he'd be a great pastor. <clears throat> Thank you so much, honey. I appreciate that. Who said that? I'm going to give you your $10 right at the church. Hallelujah. And all the rest, you all get a free card. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. One day maybe. How long do you think a marriage would last if it was a here and there marriage? If it was a hit and miss marriage? If it was once in a while kind of marriage? How long do you think that marriage would last? Why, you couldn't be counted on. How could I count on you as my partner? My marriage partner. If, if, if you're just here and there once in a while. And by the way, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make nobody upset, but it's kind of a little feisty today. I don't know what it is. I've been praying too much or something. I don't know what's going on. Getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning prayer, man, I'm, I'm fired up. It leads me to something else. You can't, you can if you want to. You know, the Bible says bloom where you planted. You can't say this is your church, but you're my pastor. And then get up and go to other churches. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you tell me. Oh, well, hold on. You got the wrong attitude then all together. Hold on, the Bible says bloom where you are planted. Why? Because if you keep uprooting yourself, you're not going to have fruit. Well, you're my pastor. I love you. Let me just tell you what that, and you go to other churches, and this is what, just be honest, and I love other churches. God bless every one of them. 
but I got to tell the truth again. It's like saying to your husband, you're my soulmate. I love you with all my heart. I'm committed to you forever. But I want to let you know, I love another person across town too, and I'm committed to them too. Ain't nobody going to preach you going to tell you like that. I'm going to tell you the truth. And every time I hear about it, it's like it hurts my heart. Wait a second. You're supposed to be here, praise God. The problem is it hurts me because I'm thinking I know what's about to happen. They're going to find themselves with no fruit and wonder why because you're weakening yourself every time you move and transplant, move and transplant. Amen. Where's the loyalty, man? If you're my pastor, you're my pastor. That's it. Robbie Young said, I don't listen to nobody on television. You're my pastor, and that's all. And I laugh and say, buddy, no, you can listen. I mean, you can he says, but that's just how I feel about it, praise God. And, of course, I believe you should listen to the preachers. I do. But I'm, my point is, where's the loyalty, man? I go where the Spirit leads me. That's not scriptural. Amen. So I will tell you this. I will tell you this, that I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you move from place to place, you're going to weaken your ability to have a harvest. And God refers to us many times as pieces of the whole and not the whole itself. We're not to be independent people going here and there. We're to come together. We're a piece of the whole. First uh, Peter 2 says this in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. Right? Okay. Living stone. So we come to him as a stone. One. Independent. Singular. We are a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, what? As living what? Stones, plural, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. What's he saying here? You came as one. But your importance is when you come together as a piece of the whole. Now the living stones come together and we can build up God a house. We can build up God his kingdom. Where the chief cornerstone comes and joins us to uphold all that God wants to do in the earth. Tap your neighbor say we're better together than we are apart. Come on. We're stronger together than we are apart. Amen. All right. Last scripture here. Ephesians 4. And he gave himself to be to the apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. So I'm a pastor. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that we can edify the rest of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. God wants us, that word perfect means mature. So that we would grow up, mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children but mature, tossed to and fro, and these children, they don't know what to believe. Santa Claus to them is real. Easter Bunny to them is real. And then that way, you're carried about with every wind of doctrine. How many times have we seen this with people that supposedly known the Lord for a while, get online, and now they're following this fad and that fad, and it's just a bunch of garbage. By the trickery of men and the cunning craft of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. He's the head. From whom the whole body, watch this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. That's the scriptures. 
teaching us that we must come together by what every joint supplies. My arm is no good if it's not connected to my shoulder. Right? According to the effective working by which every part, that's you and me, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Growth of God's people, the growth of any church, the growth of any godly organization comes when people unify and come together. We were meant to belong. We were meant to be a family. Bacteria, I, w- I was going to say, even bacteria knows this, but I say, I'm saying it almost like it's simple. Bacteria is a very complex thing. Bacteria is a very complex thing. And bacteria, if you take it and separate it and put it alone into a little Petri dish, over a little bit of time, it knows it's not supposed to be alone. It will begin to split and divide so the one becomes many until it surrounds itself to protect itself. Even bacteria understands the principle of how that we need one another, we need to belong, and how that we're, we're together, we can get more accomplished. It creates its own community. God made us interdependent, not independent. So I am dependent, uh, but I'm not dependent only on you, and I'm not dependent only on myself, but I'm dependent as it relates to you and as it relates me to you as well. So I'm interdependent. We've got to learn to care for one another. That's what the church was designed to do, to take care of each other. Physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, helping one another. The flip side of this is that the first one to complain that they left the church and nobody came and called them is the very one who never reached to anybody anyways. And, I, and by the way, when I, when I hear that, it hurts me because I want to do better than that. I, do wanna, I want to do better than that. No doubt about that. We want to follow up on people, but I found out that most of the times people complain the most, and what they're complaining about is the one that they are doing the worst. Look, we need each other, not to tear one another down. It's easy to look at me today and start throwing stones and say, well, he said this, and he did that, and I don't like him, and I don't like this style, and I don't like what he... It's easy to do that, but enough of this stuff. It's easy for me to do it to you, too. We can tear each other up and have we got to learn to overlook the nonsense and say we can all come together in one thing. Jesus is Lord, and he is Lord of my life, and he's the greatest thing that's ever come to this earth. <laughs> Jesus didn't want to be alone either. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the first thing he does is, hey, guys, would you watch? Would you stay up and pray? My soul, my soul is completely at the point of death and filled with sorrow. I need somebody to stand in the gap with me. I feel all alone, and they all fell asleep. Let me just say this. The world is looking for people to live their convictions, not just speak their convictions, but actually act upon them. They want truth. And the devil has worked overtime to keep people in a place of no standards. You know, the Bible we talked about last week, but I I was thinking about this week, I thought, my God, that's what your church is. The Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Here's a bit of revelation for you. The church... New Testament church is the standard for the world to see. So when the enemy comes against them, God says, i got to lift up my people now. 
I got to lift up my church to do what? To be a standard. That word stand, standard means a rallying point, especially in a time of battle. It means a touchstone. It means, it means a determining thing, uh, to determine what a thing should be. Applies to a definite rule, principle, or measure of established authority. It means to cause a stand for, to stand up for, the identity of something with a set standard. Here's what the concept is defined in the Unger's Bible Dictionary standard is. It's this. Standard represents God's huge hedge of protection. God's promised presence and his aid in leading and directing his people in execution of his righteous will in the earth. So when God says, I'm going to raise up a standard against the devil, he's not talking about me. He's not talking about you. He's talking about us. Everybody say, faith builders is my church. Let's be the church that can be counted on. Let's be the church that's saying, I'm all, matter of fact, let's all say, I'm all in. That's what God is looking for, not half-heartedness, not once in a while. And if you're in leadership in this church, we're really going to start watching that. You don't come just to serve. We love you, but you don't come just to serve. We thank God for that. You don't just get it. we got to still come together. Amen. So it might, you might see some changes in, coming up here because we're not going to pull up with that stuff no more. We are going to come together. We're going to say what we say, and me will say we're not. I love my music team. Y'all do really good, but you don't show up. I'm going to have to sing by myself. I'm going to kick you off the team. I'm going to be up here by myself. And trust me, I can only do so much. Praise the Lord. So we're going to need people to step up in that area and say, I'm here for this church. I'm here for God. Amen? Give the Lord a shout of praise about it today.